This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaka's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the science of magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiaka, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're proudly coming to you through the ever-expanding X-Zone Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiaka. This hour we'll be exploring stewardship. All of my shamanic teachers believe that every animal, rock, tree, or blade of grass was an integral and necessary part of the whole, without which the entire system would be compromised. Every nation, whether plant, animal, elemental, or stone, provides a service stewarding a unique bandwidth of frequencies necessary to the functioning of this organism we call Earth. Shamanically, life is viewed as a beautifully choreographed creation. Each part is exactly what it needs to be in order to participate in the whole. Humans seem to have stepped out of this natural order. At every turn, humankind has altered, manipulated, synthesized, chemicalized, processed, and genetically engineered life. There's an ever-so-arrogant assumption that things are not okay the way they present themselves in nature. We believe we can improve on the natural order by interfering with it. We've altered our food, polluted the air and water, and in general, made a toxic dump out of the planet resulting in global hunger, environmental crises, ill health, deforestation, and the extinction of animals in droves. When God gave us dominion over the earth, I don't think this is what he had in mind. How ironic, it's only after we've interfered with natural systems to the point of destruction are we starting to recognize the checks and balances of nature. Whatever happened to don't rock the boat until you know what makes it float? Nature maintains balance, yet balance is not static. It's in constant motion. Imbalance creates friction, which eventually leads to the destruction of whatever created the imbalance. 
Through the creation and destruction process, nature renews itself. Imbalance results from our repeated attempts to harness power by hacking into the way life works. It can be no other way. Ultimately, all of our manipulations, aspirations, and accusations are ground to dust through the friction caused by our own imbalance as it collides with natural law. The wisdom of cooperating with nature rather than trying to conquer her is proven over and over. If we learn to observe and re-examine our assumptions about life, it's as simple as getting in the river with a canoe and choosing whether to go upstream or down. It's as obvious as deciding whether to plant a kernel of corn in the winter or in the spring. Consciousness is the key. In order to realign with natural law, we must first become conscious of our own nature. For within our being, we truly carry the blueprint of all that is. I'm not so unrealistic as to believe we need to return to purely indigenous ways. There are way too many of us for the old methods to sustain us. Yet, clearly, the current practices threaten not only to destroy us, but all of our relations. Historically, when this level of imbalance is reached, the earth herself makes a correction gleaned the herd, wiped the slate clean, and began anew. The forest fire removes the dead wood and activates the aspen seed. Can we find a way to rebalance ourselves to the way life works? Can we steward new ways to live as one with all of our relations and take up our rightful place in the circle of life? Are we the dead wood or the aspen seed? Our guest this hour, George Scott, is an environmental and agricultural entrepreneur a committed advocate for farmers, livestock producers, and independent family businesses. George has run a series of successful environmentally friendly businesses, including chemical and soil remediation, irrigation systems, wind and solar generation, and beekeeping. As a registered beekeeper for more than 25 years, George is a passionate advocate for beekeeping as a critical component to Ontario's agricultural success now and in the future. He's a member of the Niagara Beekeepers Association. After this commercial break, I'll introduce George, and together we'll explore the birds, the bees, and true stewardship, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Prior innovative episodes can always be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. This is Johanna Carroll, host of Dialogue with Divinity on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. While walking along Kanapali Beach in Maui this past year, I kept discovering all these shells and coral in the shape of hearts. My Dialogue with Divinity was very simple. Do you want me to do a retreat to heal people's hearts in Maui next year? And of course, the answer was yes. As a master spiritual teacher, I am offering you a neat retreat called RISE, May 8th through the 12th, 2017. And the chance of a lifetime to rest at a five-star resort for five days and experience a spiritual renewal of your heart and soul. Kanapali is one of the top five beaches in the world. This stunning resort has undergone a $40 million renovation. I walked the entire property, checked out the room choices on your behalf, and I must say it is stunning. Our conference room faces the ocean with sliding glass doors. Maui is known as Mother Maui because it is a soft, gentle, healing energy. In the embrace of Mother Maui, you will feel yourself rising from the limitations of an ordinary life to an extraordinary journey of peace, bliss, and harmony a greater sense of clarity. Our RISE retreat ignites renewal in the sacred elements of air, water, earth, fire, and wind. There's plenty of free time to enjoy all that Maui has to offer. A small deposit is required now to reserve your space as this retreat, it will sell out. 
For more details, please go to johannacarroll.com and register today. Aloha, and I'll see you in mystical Maui. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Golda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is George Scott, founder of the Niagara Bee Way, dedicated to the protection and preservation of Niagara's honeybee population. George is an environmental and agricultural entrepreneur and a committed advocate for farmers, livestock producers, and independent family businesses. His website site is niagarabeeway.com. George, thank you so much for joining us on the Science of Magic. Thanks for having me here today. What a lovely day here to kind of speak with you on something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is the status of honeybees today here, in particular in Niagara and in Ontario. Well, you know, I was drawn to your work and, and asked you on the show because of your very dedicated and scientific approach to cooperating with the way life works rather than against it. And I'd love to pick your brain about what you see as alternatives to our current practices. Let's start with a, the, an update on the status of the honeybees. There's been a lot of talk about bees having trouble. Could you fill us in on what's going on? Well, the bees are being introduced to something that in their 54 million years of evolution they have never seen before. And it isn't so much your cell phone or loss of habitat or all of those things that are put up front or parasites or bacteria, which are all factors. There is a new insecticide on the market that is very effective. The bees actually go and seek it out, which makes it more effective. And it is lethal to them at exposure levels that they cannot detect. So over the years, since I would say World War II, our farmers have been become experts at a thing called parts per million, where you put a little bit of something into the feed and it makes the animals better. Sick animals get antibiotics in parts per million, and we know how that can save an animal's life and make our food better, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, amongst many things that are parts per million. This is not one of those things. This is a new technology in parts per billion. There isn't even equipment here in all of Niagara to detect this material at its functional level. And at this particular point now, we're just learning about how to live with this as beekeepers, something that's totally toxic, made to kill our bees, and how do we adjust to that? And we've come up with some really brilliant solutions that are our are, are, are go forward. That's, that's good news. Why do you, would you explain to us why you see honeybees is so important? Well, honeybees now are a dominant factor in the pollination of not just our crops, but also the native species here. Many of the insect populations that were in the billions now are no longer present in those numbers. And all of the plants that are in your garden or in the parks or in our forests or wherever they may be need an interface. That is the balance of nature. The wind is not sufficient to make seeds. Seeds are the ongoing forward of plants. Plants are reaching out with their nectars, which are filled with sugar. That's a very valuable component. 
nature's production of sugar is desired by many things, and bees are one of the best collectors of those things. And in that process, they would help a tree to make more seeds. Without those bees or insects, the tree will still make seeds, but let's say for numbers, rather than 100,000 seeds, of which maybe 10% would become trees in the future, there are only 1,000 seeds. When you start knocking those numbers down in such a huge proportion, that means our native species, as well as our plants and our food and our vegetables, etc., are not seeing that pollination services. Bees now and in the future are becoming more and more important in that landscape of nature and the way it behaves and the way it was intended to behave. Why do you see them as becoming more important? Well, because they provide that pollination service, but not only that, but, you know, the average bee in the summertime, it has a lifespan of about 35 days. And on a colony of something like 60,000 bees, when you get that much insect population flying around, not only do they provide a vital service to the plants, but they're also a very important food source for all birds that eat only insects on the wing. In our area here in Waynefleet, Ontario now, the dramatic loss of wild bird populations is very, very clearly evident now, especially the insectivores or birds that eat on the wing. Uh, Purple martins this year, in the first time in 50 years, we raise purple martins here. They do eat bees. It is a pain in the neck for beekeepers to have purple martin colonies here. We've always had purple martin colonies here. This year, they did not return. That is the plight of them. It is unfortunate, but they've got to come a long way from where it's warm, where they go in the wintertime, to where they come up here, where we have a plethora of insects where they can raise their young. They've got to go over an awful lot of area, and the same insecticide that kills the bees, if you read the material safety data sheet on it, because we are all chemical guys here. We are beekeepers, but we are chemical guys. When you read the material safety data sheet, it doesn't say that it's lethal to bees, even though we know it is, it's designed to be, but it does say one thing. It says acutely toxic to birds. Wow. The bird population is really being negatively affected by this insecticide in a a way here that we're not really monitoring. We notice the bees because we make money from the bees and it's insurable and so we're getting statistics. But we're not really getting any numbers on the wild birds other than with the big bird organizations who are screaming about the downfall of songbirds. That's, that's, that's really sad. I love birds <laughs> along with the bees, right? <laughs> I understand there's some new research on honeybees. What can you tell us about it? Well, they're in several areas, and a lot of the research is being done here in Ontario by private beekeepers. We work with the biggest ones. And what we're doing is we're not here to blame the chemical companies. We're not here to fight the farmers. We're not after a ban. We're looking at how do we mitigate our losses? How do we live in today's real world where neonicotinoids are used on every farm? Everybody who's growing corn and soybeans, um, they prefer that. It does work. It's very functional. It does make a farmer's life easier. It makes our lives more difficult, but we could spend all of our energy trying to fight them or all of our energy trying to find out how to live with them. Many of my neighbors here are 5,000-acre corn and soybean growers. They're great neighbors. They're not good. They're great neighbors. And they're sensitive to what we're doing, and they're eyes wide open. There is no conflict between us. But we are learning now that we need to divert our bees away from neonicotinoids only at crucial periods during their development. Early in the spring when there's water on the soybean field and there's little puddles, bees go to that. But two months later when there's vegetation that gives up the nectar and the pollen, the bees can't get to the soil, they can't get to that water. They can get water from other sources. That is the biggest introduction. It isn't in the honey and it isn't in the pollen. It's in the water. And when we intercept those, we provide water now to our bee colonies. We feed them when we don't want them to go somewhere. So the process of diverting them is the first step in avoiding, of course, the chemistry. And that's been very effective. And in the second, we are refrigerating our bees or putting them on side storage in the wintertime. 
that's really a critical step here in the science of preserving our bees because they no longer gorge themselves on a warm day in January where they all wake up and then they're going to go back because February, of course, is going to freeze again. That wake up, go to sleep, wake up, go to sleep allows the bees to go up into their stores and hoard honey where the insecticide is present and concentrated. Because we refrigerate, we avoid that mass consumption all at one time, which is fatal to the bees. If they get a little bit of a time, they can tolerate it. So we have learned with these two basic steps on how to live with neonicotinoids as beekeepers today. So did I understand you to say that these chemicals are showing up in their honey? And if so, does it show up in the honey that you harvest? Well, it's very little because when they go on as a seed coating, you have to realize that that entire plant will only take up 2 to 4% of the seed coating. So the dilution of that in the nectar is very, very, very low, and I would say somewhat tolerable for the bees. Yes, it will kill them if they have a steady diet, but it's at such a low level that we're having a hard time getting the correlation. However, the 98% or 95% that's in the little puddle on the soil, that's where they drink it. That's where they're getting a massive dose. An average two-story hive that you'd see as you're driving down the country road, the little white boxes where the bees live, will consume between one and two gallons of water a day. They're voracious water drinkers. Hmm. They need water each and every one of those. If there's something wrong with the water, they're the first ones to know. That's the signal that we're getting. Not so much the canary in the coal mine. It's more a fire alarm. When it goes off, we see the bees all in front of their hive. They're dead. It's a very, very dry time after a rain. Boom, they're on the water. Here they come, and we're seeing that problem. When we have a big nectar flow, we don't see the problem because it's all about the mass of this thing. The plant can only take up a very, very small portion of this insecticide, and nectar is even a smaller part of that plant. It's not the leaves. You know, it's not the roots. It's the nectar. So in there, there's such a small proportion we can get away with it, but we can't get away with the residual that's left in the water, especially after 10 years of growing corn and soybean and putting all of those additives into the soil. The soil and the water as it leaches out is deadly to the bees. So water being the universal solvent, it's taking up all those chemicals. Bees being voracious drinkers are drinking the chemicalized water, and that's the major problem. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's a, it's a waste of time at this particular point to do any further studies on um, pollen and uh, nectar flow. And really what we should be looking at is all of our water intakes and trying to assess what the impact is on our entire ecosystem. What's really missing here in the analysis is the complete life cycle of this chemical. Where does it go after it goes into the corn? When it's in that corn plant, the whole stock, and the farmer at the end of the season brings his combine in and takes off all the seeds, all the cellulosic material of the corn plant now lies on the ground and degrades there. As it's degrading, what happens to those chemicals? Are they all bound up organically? We're finding no, that's not the case. What's happening is they're just being released back into the environment. And where does it go from there? Well, it goes wherever water goes. So every time it rains, we're looking at our ditches, we're watching the bees in the ditches. Uh, That triggers us to give them water, independent of ditch water, because in the ditches, a ditch can drain a 40-acre field, and it's only one meter wide and uh, one foot deep, and the bees are all along that ditch. Ditches highly concentrate fields. That's why we have to be so careful with the concentrations. This is a really look at this thing from a mathematics viewpoint. They can only tolerate so much. If we don't avoid that, then we're going to catch that problem. And it looks like you're finding a third solution rather than fight the chemicals coming into this situation. Rather, find that third solution we can all live with. Well, this is a $6.6 billion sale. This isn't a B item. This is not in our environment today. This isn't some sort of schism religion. and This isn't something that's a little small thing we don't have to worry about. It's in 70% of the vegetables in our grocery yeah. store today. We're going to have to take up with that, and I do want to, on the other side of a break, George and I will return to our discussion after this short break 
We're coming to you through the land of leading-edge paranormal broadcasting, the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. We will be back, so don't you go away. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at... Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. 
Our guest this hour is George Scott, founder of the Niagara Bee Way, dedicated to the production and preservation of Niagara's honeybee populations. George, before we went into the break, we were talking about what a sweeping problem this is. It's not a small one. Would you continue with that thought? Well, certainly. You know, we are we are looking at some new chemistry in our world, and sometimes new is always improved, and I see a great deal of improvements on this. But in these new chemicals, they were never designed to be used as widespread on every square foot so that there was no place for the bees to go. Remember, the bees, in the case of neonicotinoids, they search them out. They prefer those. If you put a plate of sugar and water out, which is a a very major attractant to bees. Bees will go to feed on that. And you put another plate out, absolutely identical to the first plate with sugar and water, but you add neonicotinoids to that. In the first trips, the bees will be one-to-one at those plates. But in the subsequent trips, they'll be 16-to-1 on the neonicotinoid plate, indicating that not only do they like that, but they are preferring it. They are preferring to collect this chemical. They are attracted to it, and it is absolutely lethal to them. It is made to kill insects, and they happen to be insects. Mm. goes back to it's not nice to fool Mother Nature, right? Well, you know, uh, Mother Nature is giving us a very, very wide wake-up call because at this particular point, the reason we're spending so much time on bees and uh, the planting process where the seeds are going injected into the ground and the dust comes up, the reason we spend so much time at that is because it's very apparent it kills bees. If a bee flies into that planting dust, it dies immediately. There's no dispute. It's not your cell phone. You know, it's not loss of habitat. They flew into a cloud of dust from the seed planting, and they were exposed to an insecticide. Well, that insecticide still lays down after the seeds are planted, and the water, because it's a water-soluble systemic toxin, it from that point after it becomes uh, planted in the ground, the water is the main carrier, and that's the new science that we're looking at today. In the last five years, we've really understood how to manage this issue, how to protect our bees as best we can. But what we don't know is how does this chemical combine with all the other chemicals that we're using? And the science is not clearly understood on that, but I can tell you that in moving from parts per million to parts per billion, that's a much more difficult step But now, having a 1,000-time amplification of toxicity because an insecticide combines with a fungicide, both of which are important to farmers, they need to use those things to protect their livelihood and their crops. But the combination of those two chemicals now that are used in molecular proximity to one another, that's within a millimeter of each one, those chemicals now are binding themselves together and making new chemicals that have never been studied before. And in fact, we are now the guinea pigs of those things. We don't know what they are. There is no data on there. To say that they're safe when they are a thousand times more lethal, um, that's something that we're going to explore as humanity. As creatures living on this planet, we're going to explore that in the next 20 or 30 years, and we will be getting the results of those things, good or bad, one way or another, we'll understand that. At our own expense, no doubt. <laughs> well, no, we're going to be talking about uh, health. We're, this, is a, this is a human health issue. That, that's mm-hmm. how we're going to detect it. Right. Right. We already are in certain ways, aren't we? Well, certainly the studies in Japan that are... Um, at least their medical practitioners are educated to understand what the symptoms are. Here in Niagara, someone could have neonicotinoid exposure and poisoning. And since our medical practitioners are not up to speed on that, number one, they don't have equipment to test for it. And number two, those symptoms are really not taught to them. The latest bulletins going to our medical professionals don't really talk about the symptoms of a neuromuscular or a, a a neurotoxin event going on at you know at what organ that you know is it brain is it is it your sensory sensation you know is it how you walk is it how you digest how does it affect us um, that will come you know thank God for the internet all around the world this information is going to come to the surface no matter who tries to suppress it this information will come and it will be our medical community that say hey this is too much. There is a level on it, and we haven't determined that yet. But at some particular level, 
Remember, the same mechanism that's used to kill insects in the field for the farmer is exactly how human beings work. Mm. Okay, so the same way we attack those insects through their nervous system, that nervous system is the same nervous system of a human being. Wow. Whether they say that there's not enough neonicotinoid uh, receptors in the human body, that's really a bit of a point of advertising, not so much science. Mm. Certainly this material is lethal to human beings. If you drink it, it's like drinking a cup of gasoline. You know, Remember, gasoline is not lethal at these levels. At the fully mm. functional level to kill an insect of neonicotinoids, you can drink gasoline, and it won't affect you negatively. So this is a whole new science that we've got to get our minds around, and the beekeepers just happen to be on the forefront of that. Well, thank goodness for you. What, what do you see as alternative pesticide strategies? Well, that's a real unknown right now. They have a lot of genetic work going on, the new RNA interceptors. There's a whole bunch of technology. To say that this is a crucial technology and all farmers need neonicotinoids, it's only 20 years old. Farming's been around for thousands of years. Um, pest resistance has not been around since really since World War II, and that's what we are now developing. So to say that this is an absolutely essential chemical for agriculture is a little bit of an overstated uh, marketing issue. Uh, mm -hmm. Many farmers here um, who are 5,000-acre farmers, uh, I go to them and talk to them as friends and as neighbors, and I ask them to lighten up a little bit of the neonicotinoid use. They've been using it for 10 years on, on the fields for 10 years in a row. I ask them maybe they could take a blow, maybe not use it in 2015, 2016. Try 100 acres. So uh, my neighbor shows up here after Labor Day weekend and drops a case of beer off on my uh, patio. And he goes, thanks. And he goes, and I lied to you, George. And I go, what do you mean? He said, I didn't do 100 acres. He goes, I did 500 acres Wow. without neonicotinoids. And what I noticed was there was no difference between my treated fields and my untreated fields. And thank you because I am paying over $20 an acre to treat those fields. That seed coating is expensive. Wow. So 500 acres times $20, I'm going to call him a lousy neighbor because I only got a case of beer out of the deal. <laughs> but you can see where that's going. Yeah. You can see farmers now are opening their eyes and, and realize, you know, we're not pushing the panic button on our farmers here. You know, this is not their first barbecue on chemicals that have come to them, said that they were good, and now they are banned. So, you know, I would believe that if you look at the history of the Pesticide Management Regulatory Authority, the PMRA, that particular agency has a very dreadful history of approving something saying it is okay, followed by taking it off the market and saying it is not okay. And that pretty much is the life of many of these toxic chemicals as we get to see the non-targeted effects of this. I'm afraid that because we are putting $6 billion of this into our environment every year, this may be something that we're living with for quite a while and something that certain species cannot live with that we don't even know yet. We, we will find out, of course, but I'm not going to say it's going to be a pleasant surprise for everyone. I could understand that if our farmers were making a lot more money in countries where they can't get neonicotinoids. Are their farmers that much poorer than our farmers? No, it's about the same. Farmers aren't really making a ton more money. You know, how many farmers have $20 per acre loss due to insect damage? But spending between $20 and $29 an acre to stop the insects from damaging is a big, big number. So you have to look at that. And really, if this was left in the hands of our farmers, I don't think we'd be talking right now because it would be a small issue. We did a survey here in Niagara, and I'm not sure it's true everywhere because Niagara is a really gifted microclimate, almost the most perfect place in the world for the honeybee. And in there, we went to all of the users of insect control products and took an inventory. How many veterinarians and how many skids of neonicotinoid flea drops? How much shampoo did they have? How much washing things for the dog sleeping area? How much did the pest controls who go into your dentist's office, the dentist saw a centipede run across the floor, who did he call? He called the pest control company who came at night and sprayed all the corners and said, this is a safe chemical. And I'm using it. Well, he's putting down neonicotinoids. 
Why? Because it's now, it's gone from approved for use in farming to approved for release in Canada. Those are big, big steps. Nice. Number one, this material only breaks down in farms by sunlight. When they use that inside, indoors, there is no sun. It's never going to break down. The residual and the exposure to these chemicals is really amplified because this has become the number one chemical. And all of Niagara, Clark AgriChem and Pioneer Seeds do the seed coating here commercially. They're two great companies. I know those guys. They're really stand-up uh, community people. And both of those companies use together 30,000 pounds each, about one truckload each of neonicotinoids to cover all of Niagara's seed coating requirements. However, when you add up all of the other non-farm uses of neonicotinoids, it was six truckloads in January. Those are pet control. Those are pest control. Those are flea control. Those are tick control. Those are other products that are using. Farmers get 100% of the blame for using two truckloads, but the rest of us in our nursery products, in the plants in our backyard, in us treating our rose bushes, we are using more neonicotinoids than where it was specifically designed for, and not a little bit. In truckload quantities, that's six in January. And most of the people that I talked to said, yes, that's the inventory we have in January. And by June, we normally run out and we reorder a couple of skids. That market is growing very quickly and there's no control on it. And our farmers are being forced to reduce it by 80%. So we are going after the B item, the farmers. That's a problem. It's uh -huh. us as urban dwellers that are really pumping this stuff out. And then if it doesn't deteriorate, except in the sun, I can see where that's really compounding the issue. It was never designed for release in confined environments, and that's one of its biggest applications, and that's the one that's growing quickly. There's no control on it. It is not recommended for release in confined environments. Call your local pest control guy and ask him if he's using neonicotinoids in your grocery store. It's safe for food, right? Those little misters. Geez, there's no bugs on your broccoli when you go to the grocery store, is there? Well, maybe they have in their mister, they put a liter of this stuff in there because it's safe. Health Canada allows it. But now mm -hmm. you're in your grocery store and Anthony, there's no We're, we're going to have to take another break. I'd rather have the insects. <laughs> George and I will be back shortly. You're listening okay. to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. We're brought to you by the leader in paranormal spirituality and alternative health programming, the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is George Scott, founder of the Niagara Bee Way, dedicated to the protection and preservation of Niagara's honeybee populations. George, you know, the question begs asking here, how come you know so much about chemicals? Well, that's a great and leading question, of course. In uh, 1984, I started working for a chemical company. And in that chemical company, the products were things like asphalt for road paving and formaldehyde and things that make urethane or those things that make glue or what we would call intermediate chemicals. And in all the rigmarole to protect everybody now with all of the hazardous material response, our group has become very, very conversant in chemistry today in the environment. We're very conscientious about what we do. And in there also, we have things like a research and development. So we have labs where we test and we detect and we can tell you about concentrations. Unlike any other beekeeper, and I'm a multi-generational beekeeper, so we go back in our family, in every generation back to Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble, 
our family either made a Roman Catholic Irish priest or a beekeeper. And I never heard the call from the big guy, so I am a beekeeper. <laughs> but also, since 1996, I have been president of a multinational petrochemical corporation. I run the bacteriological division in Lyon, France. We find solutions to problems that are a little bit more organic now because we have a huge history in sterilizing agents like formaldehyde, which we hardly use anymore, and we're trying to step out of that. There are alternatives in many ways. It's just a matter of having the motivation to look for them and making sure that it has a cost frontier that farmers or pest control people can really use. Uh, sometimes chemicals are the cheapest, but sometimes they are the harshest. And we're not being critical of the Syngentas and Bears of the world. They're fabulous corporations. But what we are looking at is, is it really necessary that we spread these chemicals out into our environment in the way that we are doing it? So we've got a way of doing it. Um, SRI Petrochemicals, where I work, is an award-winning research corporation. We've won top awards for doing, of all companies who do research in Ontario, we have won the top awards from the Ontario Centers for Excellence. So not only do we know how to do this, but we're recognized as one of the leaders in research. That's why the big commercial beekeepers came to us. They didn't want to have a fight. They just wanted to know. They didn't want to say, hey, you can't do this, Mr. Soybean Grower. They wanted to know, how do we save our bees? And that was the limit of their motivation in coming to us. And we have devoted a tremendous amount of resources to, first of all, understanding this problem to understanding the politics of where not to stick our head to get it whacked off like whack-a-mole. We have popped our heads up at the wrong places, and the reaction has been very hostile. Mm -hmm. And we understand that. We you know that people are protecting a $6 billion market of a product that they like to sell. And we've got maybe what would be interpreted as some complaints that are very legitimate. It's easy to knock off a beekeeper because his argument is not all that legitimate. But try knocking off a chemical company who's telling you that the water that you're drinking has 36 parts per billion of a chemical that shouldn't be there, and that's its fully active strength. Wow. That's a problem, and we don't want to hide that. In my organization, they stick me out here to talk to people like you, and thank you very much for having me on your radio show. Absolutely. My job is to make people aware so that they can make decisions whether they want to use this stuff or not whether they want to chop up their broccoli and all of their lettuce and cuttings and whatever's left over and the peeling their onions and potatoes and scraping all of those cuttings very religiously into their composter. Do they want to do that when they are now knowledgeable that neonicotinoids used on all those vegetables are concentrating to high levels in their composter? and they're using their composter on their organic vegetables in their backyard and actually exposing themselves to more neonicotinoids, people don't know that. If people knew that, they would start asking questions, and then they would make decisions. That's it's, the answer. More, exactly. more information so people can make decisions. People are quite capable of making the right decision if it's they know what they're deciding. Yeah, it would, it, being informed is so important. And, you know, this is really exciting, George. It looks to me like you are working in com combination rather than in um, uh, opposition to try to create a third option to steward us out of this mess we've gotten ourselves into. And I think this is a subject that could certainly take up another hour. So I would love to have you back on where we can inform the people more about the difference between um, that third option the, the battle we have going on, trying to feed a planet, uh, keep our food clean, keep the chemicals under control, and deal with environmental issues, there has to be a third option in all of these because the fight isn't winning us anything. So if you would be willing, I'd love to have you back in January, and we can continue on with this subject as well. Does that work for you? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure, and it isn't so much the them it's the we. That's how we position ourselves. Mm -hmm. It isn't the them that are bad guys. It's the we that are here. They just happen to be the chemical suppliers into agriculture. It isn't the them who are grain growers. The Grain Growers Association of Ontario, they're an excellent group. These are all really conscientious people. However, the more that they are aware, 
of what the real facts are and the potential damages, the more that they can make decisions and say, okay, we can mitigate these things, or that's an acceptable risk. Those are good decisions to be made. But we've got to get out, we've got to get rid of the them in this conflict. There is no them. It is only we. We are beekeepers. We are farmers too. We are agricultural. We are a critical, strategically important part of the agricultural network. To lose that would be an absolute crime. And we are well underway of closing down those industries, even though you read the statistics that say there's more honey sales and there's more bee colonies in North America than ever before. And I can tell you that that is a very misleading document. And do not ever listen to anyone who even says that because I have three times more hives here and I produce the same amount of honey. I wow. have to carry more hives because I'm losing so many. And all of the commercial guys are exactly the same way. Today, our new technologies, it costs us a little bit more. And we are a lot more monitoring, testing, adjusting, doing things that our grandparents never even thought, refrigerating bees in winter. Those are things that our grandparents never thought about doing in their beekeeping, which we now see as being very essential when you get in beyond the hobbyist of the 100 beekeeper, when you get up to the commercial things, you have to do these things because this is a business. You have to keep your bees alive. It's essential. So getting rid of the them and they and those guys in the fight and saying, hey, how can we look at this? And you're going to find everybody when you talk to is reasonable and wants to hear what you have to say. Saying, here's my lawyer, and those guys are really going to get it, I'll make them pay, is the first way to shut the door on any kind of go forward. And we're only interested in the go forward. That's beautiful, because as long as there's a them and a us, we are polarized. And as long as we're polarized, we cannot find cooperation or the third option. Correct. Yeah. And even especially if that option needs the exploration of all of us. What happens if the answer is going to come from some kid's head who's only 14 and we got to wait till he's 17 or 18 or 19 and he's smart enough to be able to relate his findings. Young kids today have new tools and they're really super smart. Maybe because I deal with the best of the best kids these days, but kids today have more skills than I ever had or any of my peers had. We call them the aisles. I'll do that. More mm. versatile, more agile, more volatile. They've got all the aisles. I'll do that. And the best kids are really something that with a little bit of guidance, we're going to get a lot of productivity out of them as long as they're aware of the facts. And my job here is to make people aware of a big item here facing all of us, of which the bees are only an indicator species that something could be a little bit wrong. Well, George, we absolutely have to have you back and do an hour on what is that information? What information do we all need in order to come together as a people and create that third option from an informed standpoint rather than one of um, uh, polarization and argument? It's just been wonderful working with you. Hey, my pleasure entirely, and uh, all the best to you and yours during this holiday season. And uh, we'll catch up with you uh, in the new year, and uh, I really look forward to doing that. And it may even be helpful for me to bring one of my neighbors in here who is a large-scale, as big as they get, grain grower, so that he can also participate in this, because I'm sure that they'd like to add their two cents worth in, in normalizing things, in making people aware, in telling people that farmers care just as much as the consumers care. If not more, <laughs> if not more, less them for doing life. their work. Yeah, we'd be starving yeah. without them, wouldn't we? <laughs> what, where can people find your uh, services and your information, George? Right now we are really adding a lot and, uh, uh, to our website at www.niagrabeeway.com. And what we're doing right now in international trade is we are now accessing countries who do not have neonicotinoids, for replacement bees. Currently, oh, we're having a, uh, there's a big risk right now as Canada can only import from three countries. Well, we're out Two of, of time. Con- Unfortunately, time flies. I look forward to working with you in January. Our guest this hour has been George Scott, founder of the Niagara Bee Way, dedicated to the production and preservation of Niagara's honeybee populations and apparently ever so much more. 
His website is niagarabeeway.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Remember, you can always listen to thought-provoking episodes on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you embrace stewardship. Searching through the night.